On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We want to talk about housing, particularly in light of yesterday's Raise the Roof rally in central Dublin. Wayne Stanley, Head of Policy with the Simon Community, is with me in studio. Wayne, you've been with us before to talk about a bill that you wrote which would help to avoid homelessness because it would require local authorities to step in if somebody was being evicted and had a genuine prospect of homelessness. Um, that was co-sponsored in the Dáil by Richard Boyd Barrett of People for Profit. Richard is also with us. Uh, Richard, that was introduced a year ago next week. It passed its first vote in the Dáil and it's withered on the vine ever since. Yeah, sadly, that's a fairly... Uh common practice of the government if they don't feel they can oppose something that it can't justify opposing something to let it pass and then do nothing with it um so uh, obviously we should progress and the government should uh, progress that that's an absolute minimum i mean it makes no sense in the current climate or to be honest at any time it makes very little sense to allow people to become homeless because you're just making the situation worse. You put an additional burden on the state's Mm. uh, resources and eventually you have to try and get people back into somewhere uh, to live. So uh, I think anything that can uh, put a break on what is an absolutely dire situation uh, in terms of people going into homeless accommodation is welcome. But I do want to say I think there are some quick wins we can get as well as the wider issues of, you know, having proper tenants' rights to protect Mm. them from eviction and building public and affordable housing. I think there are quick wins available in terms of the private developments that are happening and are near completion. And if you go around the city, you will see there is some, not enough, but you will see private developments, mostly apartment blocks, uh, all along the N11, in Cherrywood, places like this, and right across the city. But at the moment, we are only getting 10% of those developments for... Uh, for uh, social housing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the state could immediately ramp up uh, the proportion that they are taking of those. I personally yeah. believe, given the scale of the emergency, they should be, in some cases, buying entire blocks of those newly completed uh, developments for social housing. But d- does that not presume that a lot of those blocks aren't already sold to prospective buyers, whether they be institutional or even, indeed, just private uh, aspiring But But in, in all cases, they are going, pretty much all cases, they are going to be rented out. Um, uh, and the state in many cases, if not most cases, is going to end up paying anyway because most of the people in those developments, or many of them, will be uh, either they'll be either leasing arrangements or mm. RAS or HAPS. So you don't think there's going to be many owner-occupiers in those I don't think so. Though? I think a lot of those developments are for rental. They're, good, they're often big investment funds mm. who are behind them and they're going to rent them out at extortionate rents. Now, I just don't see the point in the new stock that's being developed, being rented out at prices that nobody can afford and that in many cases the state mm. ends up paying for anyway, why not buy them and then we would actually increase the, the, the housing stock? Well, if those developments do end up being almost entirely rented out and very few owner pocket, owner-occupiers in them, that brings us then to another issue, which was something you raised in it all this week. It was raised on the same day as uh, Ivana Bachi, the Labour Party leader and others. And that is uh, issues of what's known as the Terrellstown Amendment. And that, for as a quick history lesson for people, was introduced to stop landlords having Uh, mass evictions where they wanted to vacate an entire property whether it be 10 or 20 or 30 apartments or more and and sell the whole thing over with no tenants in place and and an amendment was introduced to try and make that illegal and you were raising issues during the week that there seems to be a fairly open-ended loophole in that which allows it to effectively be negated without a huge amount of hassle Yeah and there's there seems to be now um, a, a bit of a 
a proliferation of instances where this is happening. Tahani House uh, in Crumlin, where there are 35 families, but also another 25 individuals and families in Rathmines Road, mm. uh, where in both cases the landlords are claiming undue financial hardship if they have to sell the property with all the tenants mm. in situ, now, which is what wh- Tyrrell Stem would require. What counts as undue hardship? Is there a definition uh, for that? 20%. If they, if they can claim or make a case that the value that they will get for the property on selling it is 20% less than uh, the market value that, or sorry, than the yeah. value they would have expected to get, they they can put in a case for undue hardship. Now, it's not clear what the RTB will do in these circumstances, but obviously there's incredible stress and anxiety for the tenants mm. facing the prospect of uh, homelessness. And... Uh, I mean, that is a ridiculous loophole. I mean, the landlord in the, in the case of Tahani House, it's estimated by the tenants, has made about €700,000 a year uh, in rent uh, over a 10 or 15 years. Uh, and, you know, given the house prices, property prices at the moment, uh, even if he had to sell with the tenants in situation, mm. I mean, he's going to... He's be doing pretty well. There's going to be yeah. major capital gains. Uh, just for clarification, sake, and starting to cut across you, Richard... Um, so the, the current evictions ban or the evictions moratorium, that would apply in this instance that effectively no one in, in an instance like that, they're allowed to remain there until the other side of the winter and into springtime. But then after that, would it appear to be that there is little or no protection if there were to be a proposed mass eviction there? That's correct. So it, the difference with the with the cases Richard has outlined is that the notice period had elapsed before the moratorium came in. Yeah. So if 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 their date of eviction had been the second of November, mm. they would have gotten the extension. Yes. It's, yeah. It was the nature of the way the the legislation was written. Yeah. That there was it wasn't retrospective. But anyway. but but either way, then when that then when that ban yeah. lapses when, when, in when we get to April, May, whenever it is, yeah. yeah that those people appear to have yeah. no protection at and, all. And, that's and really will there be some role for the, for the RTB to act as a safeguard to decide whether the landlord can move ahead and, and pursue those yeah. mass evictions? So that so my understanding of it is it's as Richard outlined, but the, the 20% is the trigger mm. if they can make the case that it's 20%, but then they have to show undue hardship and the RTB can make a determination, is my okay. understanding, around that. But what that safeguard is, is, you know, that's... Uh, and until we've seen an instance where it actually goes to the RTB and they make a ruling, we sort of don't really know well, we how have, they We have, things. in fact, because we, we were down this road with St. Helens Court, which is another similar case of a mass eviction by a vulture fund, which is ongoing mm. in Dunleary, where they did try and uh, mass evict in excess of 10 people. Uh, and interestingly there, at the last minute, they pulled back. Uh, but the the net effect from the point of view of a lot of the tenants was the stress and anxiety was so great, quite a lot of them left anyway. Uh, some of them stayed, but many of them left. Uh, and that, I think, sometimes is what these uh, these landlords are actually up to. Even if they know they might necessarily win in the RTB, just by sheer attrition, mm-hmm. uh, they can sort of scare people into leaving. Um, and in the in the case of Helen's Court, the next tactic that was deployed after uh, initially trying to bypass the Tyrrellstown Amendment was to evict less than ten. So yeah. they the, they went and tried to evict eleven. They pulled back at the last minute because of Tyrrellstown, but quite a few people had left, and then they came in and tried to evict seven. 
uh, to get and, around. And there's no there's no legal protection against doing that, so you no. just do seven at a time. We, we went into the RTB and actually said, it is absolutely clear this yeah. landlord intends to evict everybody, but they're only doing seven now. And mm. the RTB didn't disagree with us, but they said yeah. he's legally entitled I've, to do it. I've known it's happened in other instances as well, for example, in redundancies, where I think if a company is required to notify the Minister for Enterprise if they're laying off more than 10 or 20 people at a time, then they just do one lower than that threshold and do it every four weeks until they've achieved the number that they want to do without drawing any attention to it. Um, open question for, for either of you, uh, Wayne or Richard. Do you believe the government's uh, contention that when you look at the housing capital spending figures and it's about half a billion lower than the government apparently projected for it to be at this time of year, that they say that actually it's more of a quirk in accountancy and that the spending is happening or is about to happen and it simply just kind of hasn't gone through the books yet so it doesn't show up in the government's accounts. Do either of you accept that explanation? So the, the first bit of that is actually in their accounting for the spend each quarter, it is escalated. Okay. So um, in the in the first quarter, they plan to spell, these aren't the exact figures now, but they, they plan to spell 300 million in the second quarter, an additional 500 million yeah. in the, in the so third quarter, back 700 million. Yeah. So, so they do factor that in. It is true that you do see um, sort of at the end of the year, the mm. figure you end up with is usually, you know, you usually see a big inflow of, of completions towards okay. the end of the year. But it's very hard to see how they'll make up the figures that, that are so. So gaps. even though that is the practice, you simply don't think that the sheer backlog or the, the arrears that there are right now could be made up by just things going through by the end of the year. Obviously, I hope I'm wrong, but I can't see it. Which says an awful lot, Richard, not only about uh, the, the state of the housing market, but also if the government is literally incapable of spending the amount of money that they're setting aside, then all of the calls for increased budgets and for mass uh, investment in housing seems to be reaching a bit of a ceiling if there are simply limits on how much the government is capable of spending or building at any one time. Yeah, and and this is this is part of first of all is part of the problem of relying overly on private builders and private developers to build even the public housing. Uh, so there's a, there's a difficulty there, and personally, I think we need to establish some sort of state con- construction uh, company mm. to assist local authorities to rebuild the capacity of local authorities to actually build themselves because there's very there's a worrying sign that private builders are now beginning to slow down we had one instance in my area where there was a, a cooperative housing development in Lochlanstown which collapsed because the developer that was doing building the co-op not for profit housing uh, decided he could no longer build the, the development for uh, what he had previously said he could yeah. and pulled out of the whole arrangement. And th- so that's gone on hold and there's worrying signs of a slowdown. And I think that just can't be allowed to happen. We simply have to deliver not only what the government have set out, but in excess of that. Uh, and I think that means the state has to have its own construction capacity. To bring us back, though, to uh, to what we are talking about with Wayne earlier and to try and just... Uh put a bow on all of this um, you were suggesting during the week that any money which has not been spent by the government the most sensible thing for it to do is that well if there is a prospect of mass evictions or along the spirit of Wayne's bill that you proposed recently that simply that the government just step in and buy a property to make sure that it doesn't get sold on to someone else and result in evictions That is exactly the case uh, I mean there there are the, the cases I outlined to you St. Helens Court Tahani House uh, Rathmines Road uh, and then there's lots of individual cases of people all where tenants have done absolutely nothing wrong, they've paid their rent and they are facing the imminent prospect of being made homeless. It just doesn't make any sense for the government to allow that to happen because we are in such a dire situation and they have the money available. So I think it would be a good 
way to spend that money and it could be done quickly to mm. buy those properties, whether they're individual properties or even uh, better where there are large developments mm. which are available and could increase the public and affordable housing stock. Final word to you, Wayne. Would you back that idea? Any ports in a storm? Yeah, I think largely, yeah, it has to be said the government is doing some of that, uh, particularly where the where the person is on the HAP payment. I know of one where there was a mass eviction, where there was 80% of the tenants were on a HAP payment and they did buy the whole complex. Okay. Uh, the, I think where there's a reluctance is where there's, where in the case that uh, Richard just outlined, the majority of those people are working people who don't have an entitlement to HAP. Um, and the state, I think, is reluctant to step in in that yeah. instant. I think the counter argument to that is uh, when the scale of the crisis is so deep, uh, limited resources have to be used. And Mm. I think because the consequences of not doing it is some of those families will file alternatives. Some of them, if they're given more time, will file alternatives. Some of them are going to go and stay with family and friends. uh, And some of them are going to, far too many are going to end up in homelessness. And that has to be prevented. Okay, we will leave it at that. Wayne Stanley, Head of Policy with the Simon Community and Richard Boyd Barrett of People for Profit. Thank you both for joining me in studio this lunchtime. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.